Hi there, friends. We've been taking a journey together from the light of bitterness to the path of blessing. Blight is a disease. It spoils and it damages. We usually think of it on plants, but people can be blighted and toxic. It causes great suffering to the one who has it, as well as to those around us who are influenced by it. Bitterness is a blight. How do we reach the destination of the blessing of forgiveness? Get your Bible and let's talk about it. Let's capsule uh, the lessons we have had so far on bitterness and unforgiveness so far. We've been remembering that as a believer, we belong to God. And at salvation, we become the house in which the Holy Spirit dwells. He's brought us out of darkness into God's marvelous light. He's brought us out of death into life. And he's brought us out of the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God. That's what happens when we're saved. By the power of the shed blood of Christ on the cross, when we were saved, all of our sins were forgiven. All past sins, present sins, and future sins were dealt with at the cross of Christ. Then we looked at scriptures that command us to put off the old self, which belongs to the manner of life we had before we were saved. We could kind of say, don't act like you're not saved anymore when you are. We're told to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and put on a new self. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're to learn to think according to God's word. But our minds are accessible to our emotions. And sometimes we fall victim to letting what we feel dictate what we think. So we get caught in a downward spiral. And here's how it kind of goes. Somebody hurts me, and then I relive that offense over and over. It's on my mind. I think about it. It goes through my mind again and again. And then I begin to, the one who offended me, just maybe hate them. We don't like to use that word, but there are degrees of hatred. And so we wind up with a degree of hatred toward the person who offended us. And so then maybe I decide to just stay away from them, just not going close by, but they're still in my mind. So I fixate on the offense. It's at the tip of my brain at every moment. It's just there and I'm carrying it. And so then I begin to define myself by the offense. I try to get away from it, but I wind up dragging it around with me everywhere I go. It's always there, like a cloud hanging around me. Those months or years of reliving the offense over and over that are going to shape my brain to be like the offender. We become like that on which we focus. 
So neural pathways have been built in my brain that are ruts. They become my go-to thoughts so that when I think, my thoughts just slide down into those ruts that have been built by thinking about that over and over. And I'm miserable. So I try to find ways to make myself feel better. Maybe I spend more money. Maybe I eat more food. Maybe I just give up on life, trying to find something. Sometimes I may choose drugs and alcohol. Those things are highly prominent among people who are bitter toward an offender. So what happens then is that I become captive to the very person that I hate. It's clenched me and it owns me. So God says, renew your minds with the word of God. The Bible has a word for it. It's called repentance. When I change my mind, when I change my thinking to be in line with God's word and God's teaching. So if we do not choose to forgive, we've seen in our previous lessons that I can expect two things. I can expect what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18 when he warned of tormentors, tormentors for those who choose unforgiveness. Now, tormentors can be anything. Sometimes today we may call them issues. Do you have any issues? We can have health issues and financial issues and relationship issues and emotional issues and mental issues, issues. And so those things are all kinds of tormentors. So we're not saying that all of those things are always caused by bitterness and unforgiveness, but it happens often enough that if I'm having issues, I need to take those before the Lord and ask him, if those are a result are interfaced with any bitterness and unforgiveness that's in my heart. Second thing we saw was in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, where we're told that undealt with hurt can form a root of bitterness in my heart that will spring up and trouble us and defile many. Light is contagious and it affects whatever it touches. So we position ourselves to hurt those around us by carrying the bitterness, by carrying the defilement, the, the venom of bitterness. Well, our refusal to forgive gives Satan an advantage in our lives. And so when we give him that space, he can manipulate our minds. He can interrupt our relationships. He can desensitize our hearts to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. So when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he said, when you pray, pray this way. Now, we know that is what we call the Lord's Prayer. You know it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors or those who trespass against us. So Jesus is beginning to show us the concept of forgiveness, how we are, forgi how we are to forgive. Forgiven people 
we're give people. That's how we're built. That's what we do. So when we talk about forgiveness, we're not talking about a one-time event. We're not talking about something that we do and then it's over with. We're talking about developing a forgiving spirit. Peter was thinking about isolated instances of forgiveness when in Matthew chapter 18, he asked Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? And he thought he was being generous. But Jesus answered and said, no, but 70 times seven. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus mean that we're going to keep counting up to 490 times? That we're going to keep that record until we get to 490? No. What Jesus is saying is you forgive every time, all the time. Every time, all the time. Why? That's the way God forgives us. There's our standard. There's our example. And so we're going to learn to forgive with God's forgiveness because we have been forgiven that way and we are going to demonstrate to others how God forgives. So forgiveness must become a lifestyle. It's how I think. It's what I am. It's a pattern for my life. It's my daily walk. You know, walking begins with steps. And as I take steps over and over again, then I'm said to be walking. Well, I must make the same choices or steps over and over again until I develop forgiving behavior patterns, until it begins to be a lifestyle for me. Now, since I am renewing my mind in the Word of God, these choices are going to be based on God's truth, on what God says. And so then I'm going to obey that truth. So this is going to be dependent on what God says and my obedience to it. And because of that, I can expect to be becoming free. It's my path to freedom. And bondage and shackles will be broken as I begin to submit to God and do it God's way. It also is going to mean that I'm going to be in the process of being transformed. We used that word while ago from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed in the original language is metamorphosized, to put an English click on it. Metamorphosized, metamorphosis is what happens when a cocoon becomes a butterfly. So he says, that's what's going to be happening to you. It's going to evolve. It's going to be over a period of time. And that's going to happen by my renewing my mind in God's word, filling in those ugly ruts that had been built because of my wrong thinking. And then you know what? I'm going to begin to feel better. I'm going to begin to feel better because thoughts and emotions are closely tied when my thinking is brought into line with God's standard, then my emotions are going to be positively affected. I'm going to feel better. And when my emotions are better, my physical health is better. So it's going to affect me all over. So right thinking produces right choices and right behavior, right actions, right feelings. So taking these steps over and over again, produces a walk 
which yields a lifestyle that is positioned to receive God's blessings. You know, if you're going to pour milk from a pitcher into a glass, that glass has got to be in the right place to receive the milk. This is what happens when we receive God's blessings. We have opportunities to do things that will position us to receive the blessings that God is pouring. So let's plot a pathway, a pathway to the blessing of forgiveness. Now, number one, recognize that forgiveness is a command. Forgiveness is a command. Number two, identify the person or people who have hurt you. Names, identify them. Number three, specifically identify the hurt. Identify the wound. Now, if you can, you need to call the sin what God calls it. But sometimes we're not able to do that, so just do it. Just And this is happening before the Lord. You're going to identify the wound. Now, why would I do this? Why would I speak the wound out loud? Well, if it's buried, then I've got to bring it into God's light. Why? If I don't, it will grow. That's what's happening with that root of bitterness. So I'm going to bring this into God's life, light. I can't pretend that it never happened, and I can't, I, I, I can't deny it. I need to deal in truth. I deal in truth. So, number four, then I'm going to hold the hurt before the Lord. Maybe when you were a child and you hurt your toe or hurt your knee or hurt your finger, you went to your mom or your dad and you said, see this, look at this. That's what you're going to do before the Lord. You're going to take that hurt and say, look at this. Look at this. I want you to see this. And you hold that hurt before the Lord. And then, number five, I'm going to confess my sin of unforgiveness. I may say to the Lord, you know, I really don't want to do this. I don't want to do this because I don't like them. They have hurt me. I don't want to be around them. I'm afraid to continue to be around them. I can do all kinds of things. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to say to the Lord, I confess to you that sin, and I need for you to change my mind about it. Let me see it the way you see it. Let me see in a new way how you have forgiven me. And then number six, I'm going to thank God for forgiving me. Maybe sometimes even after you go to bed at night, you can ponder all of the things for which God has forgiven you. And as I've been preparing through this study, I'm amazed at all of the sin of all of the world for all time was dealt with by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. So I'm going to remember how he's forgiven me, how much he has forgiven me. Then number seven, I'm going to hold each wound one at a time before the Lord, and I'm going to say, Lord, because of you, I choose to forgive so-and-so, a person's name, from my heart for and name the wound. You're going to say that to the Lord. This is about you and the Lord. Don't lose sight of that. This is about you and the Lord. Lord, because of you, I choose to forgive so-and-so from my heart for doing this. And then I'm going to lay each offense, one at the time, under the blood of Jesus. And then number eight, I'm going to declare to the Lord. It's good to do it out loud. 
I'm going to declare to the Lord, so-and-so, person's name, is no longer indebted to me. I have transferred all of the indebtedness. They don't owe me anything. I have transferred that to you and to the debt that you paid for that sin at Calvary. I relinquish to you, Lord, my desire to retaliate. I give it to the Lord. Remember always, and I don't know that I can say this enough, forgiveness does not mean that what they did was okay. Forgiveness does not mean that what they did was okay. It means that I'm relinquishing to the Lord whatever desire I have to make them pay. That's what brings tormentors that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 18. So you don't have to feel like it. Sometimes we want to say, well, I, I just don't feel like it quite yet. You don't have to feel like it. You may pay your taxes and not feel like it, but you do it because it's the right thing to do because you got to do it or you're going to bear consequences of it. So you don't have to feel like it. This is a decision that you make before God. Wanting to forgive is not the same thing as choosing to forgive. Wanting to and choosing to are two different things. Forgiveness is not about a feeling. It's not about a desire. It is about a choice to submit my will to God's will. It is not a process. It is a transaction, a point-in-time transaction. Number nine, ask God to give you his supernatural ability to love that person and to forgive them the way he has forgiven you. And then you know what? You're going to receive that by faith. That's a prayer that's in God's will, and he's going to answer that prayer. So you're just going to say, God, I can't do this on my own. You're going to have to put it in me, put it in my mind and my heart. And what are you going to do? Submit to him. And then number 10, he says, we're going to accept the fact that the relationship and the events that have been happening to me were permitted by God with an eternal purpose. God let it happen for a reason. We don't have answers to that. Our biggest challenge is to seek the Lord about what he is trying to teach us, what he is trying to show us. You see, healing begins with understanding and accepting that God is in control. God is in control. All of our past has a purpose in God's sovereign plan. We don't live in the past. We live in the present and we look forward to the future. And so we're going to cling to the character of the sovereign God who has allowed these circumstances. He operates from an eternal view. We have no ability to even imagine. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, this may be a new term for you, we're going to faith it. Faith it. I'm going to choose to believe God when I don't see. I'm going to choose to trust him when I don't like it because it's all about him, and it's about my relationship to him. We cling to the truths that God is loving, that he is merciful, he is just, he is righteous, he is faithful, he is true, and he is good. 
And sometimes I just have to set my mind to dwell on those things, to think on those things. Now, there are people who believe that they have truly forgiven their offender, but they still just feel stuck, feel emotionally stuck. And maybe you have forgiven, but you've not yet reached that place where you feel peace, where you feel freedom. Maybe healing has begun, but you're not quite there yet. You want more of what God has to offer you. Well, Scripture gives us one more step to take to enter the full power of forgiveness. Jesus said, bless your enemies. Bless your enemies. We're going to take the deliberate step to bless them. We return blessing for cursing. We return blessing for cursing and good for evil. And we participate with God in obtaining full, complete, conquering victory. We find the principle of blessing our offenders spelled out for us in Scripture. Let me just throw this in as an aside. If you're ever bitten by a snake, you have venom that comes into your body that's going to hurt you, may even kill you. And so you're going to take an anti-venom medicine that's going to neutralize that poison. Blessing neutralizes the poison of a curse. We need to remember that. That may need to be a whole lesson. Blessing neutralizes the poison of a curse. Now turn with me quickly to Romans chapter 12. And this is for everyone who needs God's help to go all the way to blessing on the path of forgiveness. Now, I want you to watch the progression. I'm going to read verses 17 through 21, Romans 12. He says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we're going to let him do his thing. Verse 20, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. And we don't have time to go in on that, but that was a good thing. That was a good thing. So do not become, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What's he saying? He's saying, don't give your enemy vengeance. Give him help. Give him help. When you see him stuck on the side of the road, give him help. So that's the general picture here. Don't give him vengeance. Give him help. Understand evil can be overcome by good. If good would not overcome evil, he would not have told us to do this. He says, overcome evil with good. Now go with me to Luke chapter 6 and verse 27. Verses 27 and 28. Jesus is speaking. And he says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. So he's got three categories here. Those who hate you, those who curse you, 
Now, this word curse can have to do with verbal offenses and insults and um, stinging words. So those things come under the categories of curses. So those who hate you, those who curse you, and those who mistreat you. And what did Jesus say? If they hate you, do good to them. If they curse you, bless them. If they mistreat you, pray for them. Pray for them. Jesus died for the salvation of the very people that nailed him to the cross. The person who has hurt you is a person in need. Ask God to show you the real need in that offender's life and then ask the Lord how he might want to use you to meet that need. Look at Joseph. If you want to read about it, go to the uh, around chapter 50 of the book of Genesis, those chapters in there to read the story of Joseph. But he blessed his very brothers who got him sold into Egypt in the first place. When he saw them, they were safe with him. I think that's a good way for me to hold it in my mind. They were safe with him. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 21, Joseph said to his brothers, Do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to help you. Now that is the redeeming, restoring heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is supernatural. That is grace. And so it's too hard for us if we ever needed the Holy Spirit to work in us and to enable us to obey God's word. For me, this would be one of those times. God will empower us to do what he has told us to do. So just ask God how he wants you to bless them. Listen, it doesn't have to be a big blessing or something spectacular. It may be secret. It can be simple. It may just be speaking to them. It may be holding the door open to them at the for them at the grocery store. It most likely is praying for them. But when we do those things, we're blessing them. It might be a secret blessing. They might never know that you did it. That's okay, because you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for the Lord, before Him. So just start where you are. Just start where you are and see what happens. If nothing happens in your offender's heart, it'll happen in yours. It will help you. It will affect you. So we just want to get to that place where we can be in a position for God's power to be freed up both in us and through us. We want to be that conduit in which God's power and his spirit can flow freely. A blessing can break the bondage of a curse. If you really want to get out of it, then you're going to bless and you're going to thank God for his power to redeem those hurtful circumstances and those hurtful memories. Have you ever seen the movie Ben-Hur? The movie was made from Lou Wallace's 1880 novel called Ben-Hur, A Tale of the Christ. That book was considered the most influential Christian book of the 19th century. Judah Ben-Hur is a fictional title character. And the movie was first produced in 1959, and I think it was reproduced again in 
2016. Judah Ben-Hur was his full name. The name is shortened to Ben-Hur. And he was wrongly accused. He was wrongly accused of assaulting a Roman centurion. And as a result, his family's home and possessions were confiscated and his mother and sister were imprisoned. Horrible circumstances being accused for something that he did not do. Well, Ben-Hur himself became a galley slave on a Roman warship. Judah Ben-Hur was a Jew. And his childhood friend, his best friend through his childhood, was named Masala. He was a Roman. And he is the one who turned Judah Ben-Hur in to the authorities. He turned him into the Romans. Well, Judah became consumed with hatred. He hated Masala. He hated all Romans in general. So he lived a life of tension and hate. The story was said in the days of Christ. Judah became reunited with his childhood sweetheart. Her name was Esther. And she had been out listening to a man named Jesus. Blessed are the merciful. Love your enemies. And Judah was unmoved. But she said to him, It was Judah Ben-Hur I loved. What has become of him? What has become of him? You seem to be now the very thing you set out to destroy. Hatred is turning you to stone. It is though you have become Masala. If you saw the movie, you remember the great chariot race. And as the story progresses, Judah ends up in Jerusalem on the very day Jesus was crucified. He found himself standing at the cross, watching the blood flow down Jesus' tortured body. His years of bitterness and hatred were washed away by the love and the blood and the grace of the Lord Jesus, by what he was seeing. And in the closing scene, Judah Ben-Hur tells Esther what happened. Here's what he said. I heard him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I felt his voice take the sword out of my hand. Where's your sword? Lay it down. Give it to the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. 